Isn't it a blessing how faithful the Lord is? One of my favorite, I love the Psalms, but I love Psalm 103, where the Bible says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame. He remember that we are dust. And I heard somebody say years ago, you know, God has never, we say, we say oh, I don't want to disappoint God. And, and we can displease him, but we can't disappoint him because he already knows what we're going to do. And, and God never has to say, uh-oh, and he, he never loses anybody, and he never makes any mistakes. He's never at a loss for what to do next. And what a blessing it is. We serve such a faithful God. And sometimes we're so weak. Sometimes we falter. And, and he's always there. What a blessing. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Amen. It's a blessing, and it's a, it's a great thing to know the Lord. I don't know what I'd do if I was trying to live my life without the Lord. I just don't know how people do it. I really don't. With no answers for life and nowhere to turn for, for supernatural help and, and be, to be left to their own devices to try to figure things out on their own, I don't know what people do. And I suppose that's why some folks just say forget the whole thing and pull the plug on their life and they never, they never go beyond that because there aren't any answers. There just aren't any answers apart from the Lord. And praise the Lord that He has all the answers. Amen. Well, thank you again so much for all you've done for us while we've been here this last few days. And it's been a true joy to be able to be with you and fellowship with you and spend this time with you. And, and we thank you so much for your for your prayers and your faithfulness and support and encouragement. And thank you to the Byler family and Pastor Byler for having us come. And it's been a real blessing. We got to spend a little bit of time this afternoon with uh, the Webbs that Pastor Webb and Mrs. Webb came over and we had a little lunch together early. About noon, I guess it was 1130, they showed up. And then uh, this evening, uh, we had dinner with the Hoyles. And thank you folks so much for, for the meal, wonderful meal you prepared us. And all of you who've done so much, we just Thank you. Let's pray and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, as we approach this last time together, I pray that you'd challenge us and help us to see how important it is that we just look to the Lord for strength and for wisdom. And Father, for the fortitude that we need to continue. These are difficult days. And Father, I've told our folks many times that I don't envy parents of young children these days it's going to be increasingly difficult to just hold the line and raise children for the lord and there are some young children here and and some on the way and father i just pray that you will bless these families and father encourage married couples to stay close father i pray that you challenge us tonight about about just standing when things are difficult and when we're challenged and when we're under attack, just stand. And Father, this very definitely does relate to family life. And I pray that you'll help us to see and apply that principle appropriately this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think we're all familiar with the New Testament text on the whole armor of God. And we're going to look to that passage of Scripture briefly and then jump around some. Ephesians chapter 6, and I think it's interesting that this portion of Scripture is the end of Paul's epistle to the church at Ephesus, of course, 
But, and this is the, the latter half of chapter 6, where he really gets down to, to business with the whole armor of God. But leading up to that, through chapter 5, it's all about husband-wife relations and how Christ loved His church and how a husband ought to love his wife that way and how she ought to be willing to follow Him and, and respect Him and submit to Him. And then you get to chapter 6, uh, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Children, obey your parents. It's, a, it's still about the family. And a little bit later on, and we'll look at this real quickly, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the next few verses verses 5 through 9 have to do with the relationship between servants and their masters. And for us, the appropriate application would be employers and employees because we don't have servitude and slavery and bondage like they had in those days. It was sanctioned by the Roman Empire. And so Paul was not going to be a renegade and a, and a revolter or a social, you know, a, a social engineer and try to uh, overthrow that system, and I don't. I think that freedom is is great, and I appreciate uh, capitalism and our free enterprise system and all of that. And I think that's the way that God intended for life to be. But the Roman Empire sanctioned slavery in those days, and so he he gave some some uh, uh, commands for masters and their servants there in verse five and following of Ephesians chapter six, and then finally. Down in the next section, verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he starts into this whole armor of God thing. And I can't help but think, because, you know, don't we believe, and I think there, are, there may be only, maybe there's only one of the book in the Bible that I know of, that sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to place the context, and that's Proverbs because they seem to be a lot of just scattered proverbs that are put together. But every place else in the Bible, don't we say, what is the context? Don't we look for that context? What's the context of that portion of Scripture? What's the context of that biblical statement? And I'm saying here, this whole armor of God thing is in, is in the clear context with family relations and relationships generally, master-servant relationships. It's about relationships and then he says, take unto you the whole armor of God, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And, and I think it's notable, isn't it true, that one of the devil's most effective ploys is to create strife in our relationships. Isn't that true? And if things are not going right, and a, and a man is downhearted, and he feels defeated, it's likely it's because something is awry in his relationships. And the same thing is true for a woman. That affects us more deeply than perhaps just about anything else. And so it's not surprising the devil would try to launch an attack against us. I think his, that's one of his most effective uh, 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 attacks. Nothing destroys or disheartens. Nothing disheartens like family strife does. And so, we, and so we equip ourselves so that we will not fall prey to the wiles of the devil, the attacks of Satan. And the Bible, in this context, talks about where our real battle is. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual warfare. And in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, I believe it is, where he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he talks about uh, spiritual weaponry and the fact that we're in spiritual warfare. And that's what, that's what life is all about for the saints in most cases. You're not out there having fisty cuffs and exchanging blows with your neighbor, hopefully. <laughs> you know, it's not, about, it's not about the guy across the street who's your enemy, who's trying to, to destroy your family or destroy your testimony. It's a spiritual battle. And we should be aware of that. And, and certainly that spiritual battle manifests itself in no clearer way than when it actually is an attack on our relationships. The devil wants to defeat us that way, and he knows that we're especially sensitive in that area, and so he will attack us in some of those ways. Well, I want us to consider a verse in this... uh, We're going to walk through at least a little bit through this portion of Scripture, and I'd like to preach to you on the subject tonight, Having done all, stand. Having done all, stand. And that comes from, that's wording that comes from a verse in this portion of Scripture. The first thing that we should notice is that we are admonished in the Word of God to be strong in the Lord. And verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And and I was encouraged just by looking up the definitions of some of these words. The power of His might, that means literally the vigor of, the vigor of His forcefulness. Be strong in the Lord and realize that there is is a lot of power in His might. He can do anything. And so that's an encouragement for us to look to the Lord to get the strength that we need. And you know what? No matter how hopeless your situation may be, it's not. It's not. It's not hopeless. If you know how to tap into this great divine resource and you know how to get a hold of the Lord, your situation is not hopeless. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might, the vigor of His forcefulness. And this encourages us to bring divine energy into our life and specifically into our family, into our home. His Word and prayer And what a powerful uh, element these things are in a family dynamic. And I would encourage every family uh, to read your Bible and pray together. And certainly every individual. I challenge our folks regularly up at Bible Baptist Church in Grand Forks that you know what, if you're not spending time alone in your Bible with the Lord every day without fail you're going to have some serious problems. And you'll have even more serious problems than you would have otherwise. Oh, how we need God's Word. And some people say, I just can't figure it out. I just can't figure out why I'm having so much trouble. Are you reading your Bible? No. Come on. At least do the, at least do the easy thing. At least do the, the logical thing. The basic thing. Spending time in your Bible without fail even systematically, every single day. And at the time, sitting down and praying and asking the Lord, uh, show me, give me something today. 
that will strengthen me. Show me something from your word today that will be a challenge and a blessing to me. And I try to make it a point, and I sit down with my, with my mug of coffee. And my wife, I, I don't know what she does. She doesn't drink coffee. She probably never has devotions. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Because <laughs> coffee and devotions go together, right? But I am determined when I sit down in the morning with my, with my cup of coffee and my Bible that I'm not going to stop reading until the Lord gives me something for that day from His Word. Oh, how we need that. That's not a matter, you know, uh, my, my dad, while he was still living, and God, God bless him, he was, a, he was a man who faithfully read from his Bible. He was 90-something, 90 92, I think, when he passed away. Um, and and even, even though he was suffering some serious dementia in his last couple of years, he still had this, this pattern of reading from his Bible every morning, and he would sit his wife down, and they'd read the Bible together. And they read through the Bible every year. For years and years and years and years, and and I haven't ever challenged our people or or sort of set up a, a read through the Bible in a year type of program, because I have found when I've when I've been on that kind of a schedule, not that I'm against it, but when I've been on that kind of program myself, I find myself hurrying up and reading through so I can get through my chapters today, so I don't get behind. You know, I think it's something like nine chapters a day or something you've got to read to get through the Bible in a year. I don't want to hurry when I'm reading God's Word. I want to meditate on those verses. I may only get through two chapters or the equivalent of it. But we can't, we can't overestimate and typically will underestimate the importance of of. Bible reading and prayer time, bringing God's power, bringing divine power into our home, into our relationships, into our heart and mind. That's extremely important. What is the, we'll talk about priorities in a little bit, but what is the priority of your life? What's the priority of your home? And if we say this, well, then we should do it. We should do it. If we want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so we bring divine energy into our home and we also encourage one another with God's promises and His character. I was really blessed and my wife for quite a while have been just, have just been making a point of, of uh, almost every night and, and there have been a few, because of health issues, there have been a few interruptions to that, but almost every night we just set aside a little time to pray together, to kneel together in the living room and pray together before we go to bed. And this has been, this last uh, year or so, has been extremely difficult um, in our lives in some ways. And I so appreciate that she has reminded me so often, God is going to do this. God is going to do this. God's going to answer this prayer. God's going to meet this need. And I've needed that encouragement a lot of times. And, and you know, being strong in the Lord has to do with encouraging one another with God's promises and God's character. I, I like that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Some of you know that some of the short, uh, pithy 
promises and challenges in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, like rejoice evermore, you know, in everything, give thanks, pray without ceasing. And, and uh, pastors always hesitate to tell people what is God's will for their life, and we believe that the Holy Spirit should reveal God, His God's will to the individual about their life. But there's one area that I don't hesitate in. I know it's God's will for I know what God's will for you is. It's to in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's God's will for you. I know that because the Bible says so. But that very last verse is faithful is he that calleth you who also will what? Will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God is going to keep his promises. And you know what? In our family, we can stand, we can, we can stand with strength, especially when we encourage each other. God's going to do this. We should just trust the Lord. We spend time together in prayer. We spend time together reading the Bible. We encourage each other in the Lord. God will do this. Look at a few verses. Look at Numbers chapter 23 in your Old Testament. Numbers chapter 23. Having done all, stand. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, the Bible says this, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God's going to stand by his word. He's going to do what he has promised to do. And we can count on that. That's a great deal of encouragement to us. Sometimes we lose sight of that, and we need somebody close to us to remind us, to encourage us. God's going to do this. He said he would do it, and he will. Let's just trust him. And so we have that benefit we have that that resource listen to isaiah 14 24 the bible says the lord of hosts hath sworn saying surely as i have thought so shall it come to pass and as i have purposed so shall it stand and then a verse in matthew chapter 24 god says basically i said i'd do it and i will matthew 24 34 says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And Jesus said the things that he was promising, that he, the things that he was predicting, the things that he was uh, claiming would happen, would happen. This will happen. This is going uh, to uh, occur. God's promises can be depended on. And so, and so having done all, we, we stand. Be strong in the Lord. And the next verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God. And there are a number of thoughts here that I'd like to share with you. We're not going to go through the armor tonight, but we're going to go a different direction. But this verse bears, in fact, all these verses bear a lot of attention, but this particular one is the one we're going to give a little more attention to. He calls it the whole armor of God, and that tells me it's complete. There aren't any gaps. And you know, insurance, automobile insurance salesmen, when you go and buy a car, if it's a nice used car or if it's a new car, they want to sell you gap insurance. 
because because if you insure it for the full amount, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's going to depreciate somewhat, and likely you'll owe more on the car than the insurance will cover it for. And so they say you need there's a gap here. There's, there are never any gaps in God's plans and God's purposes and God's power. There aren't any gaps. It's the whole armor of God. And you know the story about Achilles' heel. Is it's that Greek mythology? Where Achilles, Achilles was this superhuman demigod type of guy. And he had one, he had one place where, where uh, an arrow could get through and it was down there at his foot. That was his Achilles' heel. That was the one spot of his weakness. And sure enough, that's where that arrow went. There aren't any gaps. The whole armor of God covers everything. There are no gaps. It's full. It's complete. And I like 2 Peter 1.3. I quote it often where the Bible says that according as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue. God's got all the bases covered. There aren't any gaps. He's given us all things. And I think this is through his word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, although the, the text doesn't get very specific in the application of it. There aren't, any, there aren't any gaps. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it doesn't mean he gives us all the answers, but he gives us all the answers we need. And praise the Lord for the whole armor of God. I think it's notable in Ephesians chapter 6 as well that we are challenged to put it on. And somebody says, well, you know, there's this armor of God that he's offered to me. Okay, well, did you put it on? Did you take it up? And we have this responsibility. It's like there's a pile of armor there on the floor. And, and what are you going to do with it? Put on the whole armor of God. And verse 11 says that. And verse 13 says, um, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And verse 14 says, uh, Having your loins girt about with truth, having on... The, pre the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 16 says, taking the shield of faith. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. And that is our responsibility. And how do we become armed and how do we become equipped with these elements, with these instruments God has provided for us? Well, that kind of goes back to the earlier part where we said, we said, if we're going to bring divine energy into our home and our life, if we're going to encourage one another, we need to be serious about God's Word day by day in our life. We take it up. We put it on with our own response. It will allow us to stand. And God has made the provision. We just need to do what we're supposed to do. I think it's interesting. There in verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word, wiles, comes from the same root word from which we get method. It's methodia. Satan has a, per, a particular modus operandi, a particular method of operations. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, we're not ignorant of his devices. No, we shouldn't be. We ought to be able to say, you know, that's the devil trying to defeat me. 
we ought to be able to recognize those attacks. But he is one who is known for his wiles, and the word implies trickery and travesty, and we immerse our personal life and our family life with truth, and we can stand, we can stand, and having done all, stand, and not be cast to, uh, blown back and forth with every wind of doctrine, and challenged and defeated on every hand. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me real quickly. And this definitely relates to family life. And I think this it's amazing when you make it a study, you'll find so much in the Bible that relates to family living. And certainly not as much attention is given to family life as is given to some other things in the Bible. But it's, it's there over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 1, And following, the Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, and all all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of, our, of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. I remember, he says, just just drive this principle home over and over again. I remember our first child, and I did it with every one of our children. When they were lying there in the cradle in the crib, you know. I would stand over them, and they were, they were staring up, and of course they, you get their attention if you come into the room when they're lying awake in their, in their bed. But I remember holding the Bible and saying to them, this is God's Word. We love the Bible. It's God's Word. We reverence God's Word. I just wanted to communicate an attitude of awe and an attitude of respect, even in our infants, so they would, they would understand the tone of voice and they'd realize there's something special about that book. We love God's Word. I remember rocking our little children in the rocking chair in the baby's room and holding with my knees out like this, holding a little one on my knees and quoting John 3.16. And I remember long before they could ever frame words or, or talk, they knew John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And, and I would stop, for God so loved the... And, and they try to say world. And they didn't know what the words meant. That He gave His only begotten Son. They could fill in the blanks. Before they even knew what those words meant, I remember as a child growing up in a church that my own dad pastored in Las Vegas, Nevada. Out, actually, it was North Las Vegas, out in the desert. And every Wednesday night was Scripture Memory Night at our church. And I appreciated the Scripture Memory emphasis here. 
I remember learning a lot of verses. Most of the verses I learned in childhood, or excuse me, most of the verses I memorized through life, I learned in childhood. But I didn't even know what those verses meant necessarily. And it may, be, it may have been years later before I even realized an application for those verses. What does that mean? How does that apply in my life? But they were already hidden in my heart. What a great, what a great heritage to have God's Word in your heart. I remember it was many, many, many years later, maybe 30 or 40 years later before I, before I thought long and hard about some of those verses and realized how they apply in life. But I had them committed to memory as a child. And Paul said this concerning Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Of course, understanding must accompany that knowledge of Scripture, not, it can't just be something rote. It can't just be rote memorization or something that brings salvation. It's got to be with understanding and conviction. But still, hiding God's Word in the heart is a great thing. And we put on the armor and we equip ourselves. And, and uh, Moses challenged the people of his day. He said, all the time, talk to your kids. Be sharing scriptural truth with them. Talk to them about the Lord. When you get up in the morning, when you sit down to breakfast, when you go out in the day, when you come back, when you, when you sit down to eat, when you, when you go to bed, when you rise up, all the time, talk to them about the Word of God, about the truth of God, and get it locked into their heart, into their subconscious mind. Help them to understand. That's part of putting on the armor. That's, a, that's part of protecting protecting our relationships and guarding our family with biblical truth. And where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? Look with me in, in your Old Testament to 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 1. I'm doing a we're doing a series in our adult Bible class right now in the life of David, and particularly in the book of 1 Samuel. We haven't gotten to 2 Samuel yet. I don't know how long we'll go with this series. But in 2 Samuel chapter 1, after a long, long struggle with King Saul trying to, trying to kill David because he was such a jealous man, and he did not want anybody else to become the king in his place, and so he thought David was probably going to be the next king because Eli had, or excuse me, uh, Samuel had told him that he wasn't going to be able to be king anymore. So he was trying to do away with David, and David refused to lift his hand against King Saul. And maybe you remember that. There are a couple of opportunities when he could have ended Saul's life, and he said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. That's a good principle. What God has, the, the man that God has placed in a position of leadership for his people, God's people should be very careful about putting their hand on. That's a special thing, a special calling, that's a special enabling from God. And, and uh, people should think long and hard about resisting the work of God in that sense. And David was one who made a lot of his own mistakes, of course and sin greatly against the Lord and against others, uh, committed wrong against others. But this is one thing that he would not do, and uh, I, I would commend him for that. David's always been sort of a hero of mine because I can't find anybody else in the Bible that God said he was a man after his own heart. 
And that means a lot to me. But in 2 Samuel chapter 1, he's lamenting the death of Saul and Jonathan in the battle with the Philistines. And he asked the question in verse 25, 2 Samuel 1, 25, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. And I think he was mourning for King Saul as well, but maybe probably less for King Saul than for his son Jonathan, with whom he had a very, very dear friendship. But this goes back to a matter of confidence. And in whose confidence was King Saul? Uh, where was his confidence placed? Himself. And I should have said, in whom did King Saul place his confidence? It, it was placed, he, was, he was trying to do it himself. And he was good at just trying to manufacture the right results by his own energies. And he thought this was the way to go. And the Bible says, in fact, Samuel told him at one point, he said, God has rejected you from being king because you're not the same man as you were when God first called you. When thou wast little in thine own eyes, then God called thee and lifted you up and exalted you and so on. But now you've come to the place where you think you're hot stuff. And, and God will not be party to somebody else claiming his glory. God will not be party to that. One of the Psalms says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. And what that means is he deserves it. He deserves the glory. Some people smile and laugh when they hear Somebody like Dave Ramsey, you know, on the radio, and somebody says, how, how are you? He says, better than I deserve. I kind of like that. And we teach our children, you know, when they have performed in a Christmas program or in some other situation where they've sung in a group or their, their children's choir has, has, has been in a service, we teach, or they've been in a recital or something, you did such a great job, we train them and teach them to say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because God is the one who's worthy of glory and praise. Instead of, yeah, I did do good, didn't I? Aren't I good? No, praise the Lord. God's the one who enabled me to do this. And He is the one who's worthy of praise. I believe the mighty fall because of the wrong confidence and and merely thinking we stand, oh, don't worry about me, I'll be fine, is, is actually pretty shallow and pretty empty because we're not the ones that are in control. And the Bible says, having done all, stand. How do you stand? How do you stand? In the Word of God with His truth, by encouraging each other with God's truth, but by having the right confidence. My trust is in the Lord. It's not in me. I can't do this. I remember years ago, uh, a man, another man besides myself, who was, who was a God-called preacher, who used to say, he was a good friend of mine, who used to say, what are you so... What are you so serious and so diligent about? Your kids are going to be fine. You guys are doing a good job. 
you're doing, they're, they're going to be fine. And I said, I'm sorry, I just can't, I just can't approach it that way. Because there are too many things that could happen as soon as I start to get self-confident. And we just determined that we were going to be continually bringing our requests before the Lord and not get confident, not get overly confident about this. And the, and the reality of the matter is that I believe on purpose in families, God places an element there that parents don't really have control over, and that is the salvation of the child. We've probably all known people who are involved in organizations like Child Evangelism Fellowship, or maybe in some other situation where, where people believe that all it takes to be saved is just say these magic words, you know. And they're very intent, typically those kind of people are very intent on getting the child to pray as, as young as possible. And I've always said, you know, we shouldn't have to dumb down the gospel for anybody. If, if a teenager or an adult needs to realize, I'm a sinner. I'm under divine wrath. I've got to be willing to repent of my sins, humble myself, and turn my life over to the Lord in order to be saved. Well, then a child needs to do the same thing. You don't find two different, two different ways of salvation or more in the Bible. There's only one. And everybody who's saved got saved the same way. By being convicted about their sin and by being willing to repent of their sin and turn their life over to Christ. And if a child can't understand faith and repentance, they're not ready to get saved yet. That's okay. We can explain to them that God regards the innocent until they're mature enough to understand. That's okay. That's okay. Don't be ashamed or don't be afraid to explain that to a child. And there are so many different ways we could go with this and so many different principles that come to bear when it comes to rearing our children. But don't ever imagine, oh, we got this under control. We can do this for a child. That's one area you cannot do for your child. And so what does it do? You can, you can teach them character. You can teach them discipline. You can train them to discipline themselves. You can teach them to be kind and well-mannered. If you repeat the instructions about good table manners about a million times, sooner or later it'll sink in. They'll get it. Don't talk with your mouth full. Don't chew with your mouth open. Don't eat with your fingers. You know, they'll learn that after you repeat it about a million or two million times. They'll get it sooner or later. And parents have a responsibility in so many areas, but we cannot bring salvation to their heart. That's God's work, and that's humbling. And that causes mom and dad to stay on their face before God and say, Lord, would you just work in this child's life and help us to be wise that we would accurately represent truth and salvation and righteousness to them so we won't alienate or drive them away or cause them to imagine this is not really true or real, but just work in their heart and draw them to Christ. I can't do that for my child. I couldn't do that for any of them. And it kept us on our knees before the Lord.
Yeah, we have a responsibility. You, you buck it up and take your responsibility as a parent, but realize there's something you can't do. And you give glory to God for what only He can do and what He's enabled us to do. The confidence has to be in the right place. I think pride is very damaging and very dangerous. In fact, it tops the list of things God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look is the very first one that he mentions. Pride. God hates pride. Because a proud person will steal God's glory and he deserves that glory. Listen to Proverbs 16.5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. God is going to deal with that. He's going to deal with that pride in a very direct way. And we need to have the right confidence if we're going to stand for the Lord, if we're going to see success and joyfulness in our family life in time to come, we've got to be willing to have the right confidence. We've got to have the right priorities. Sometimes people fall and fail because they have the wrong priorities. What should be our top priority? Oh, that we have a nice retirement income and that we have a boat, that we have a newer car, that we have a bigger house. Those are not good priorities. And there may be nothing wrong with those things. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with those unless they become a god in somebody's life. But our top priority ought to be following Christ and serving the Lord and having Him in the first position. I think Saul failed because, because he had himself as his top priority. Was he an insecure man? Is that why he kept grappling for, for the spotlight? Is that why? Maybe. But he should have learned. I think he should have learned. It's not about me. It's about the people. It's about honoring the Lord. He is the top priority. And the mighty fall sometimes, and Saul fell, and others in the Bible have fallen because they had the wrong confidence and because they had the wrong priorities in their life. And they're unable to stand. And having done all to stand, because... They had these things kind of messed up in their life. We just can't trust. We just can't trust ourselves to bring the right kind of results and successes. We just cannot. We just cannot rely upon the arm of the flesh. The, the old hymn says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You're going to fail. You need the Lord's help. You need the Lord's strength. And he stands ready to help you and strengthen you if you will give him the glory for what he accomplishes. The wrong confidence, the wrong priorities, and I think sometimes God's people fail to stand because they've got the wrong standard. They're measuring themselves by a particular standard, and it's a faulty standard. And we look at, we look at a man like King Saul, who, who was constantly changing. I mean, at one point early in his administration, 
early in his monarchy, he made a, a rule that all those that have familiar spirits should be put to death. And then where did he go late in his life? To the witch at Endor. To get some kind of communication because he was desperate for an answer from, from Samuel, his advisor, his counselor who was dead. And so there was a compromise there. We're not going to be able to stand if we start compromising truth in our life. We won't be able to stand. I think it's significant there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is a, this is a powerful passage of Scripture, and most of you would be familiar with it. About It's the great separation text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where the Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In verse 14, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath Christ with darkness, with light, light with darkness, excuse me, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he states, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And verse 18 says, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And this verse 18 is a mystery to some people, and they immediately jump on the conclusion that, Oh, you'll get saved if you'll just live a, a, holy, a holy life. God says, Be separate, and I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. This is not, this is not a, a, a standing a statement. You'll, you'll be able to stand as my children. It's a relational statement. You'll have a relationship with your heavenly Father. He will be to you as a father, and you can be to him as his sons and daughters. You'll have fellowship together if you will determine to live as he designs for his children to live. It's a relational statement not a positional statement and and God is glorified when his people have a, a holy standard on purpose and of course God calls his people to holiness first Peter 1 15 and 16 be you holy for I am holy saith the Lord he calls his people to a high standard and that's not that's not legalism, by the way. That's just biblical holiness that God expects for, for testimony's sake, for God's glory's sake. He has a high standard for His people. And those who will submit to Him and say, okay, God, I'm going to submit to You. I'll yield to You. I'll live that way. He says, we can have a close relationship then if You'll determine to be obedient to Me. And put me first in your life. And give me the glory that I deserve. That's what that's about. Do you think that has anything to do with the child of God being able to stand in the face of spiritual warfare? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that has anything to do with families being able to be strong in the face of spiritual resistance and attacks? Absolutely. Not have the wrong confidence or the wrong priorities or the wrong standards. But stand, our confidence is in the Lord and our priority is Him. And we're determined to live as He 
designed his saints to live. And we equip ourselves with the armor of God. And we determine we're going to spend time in the word of God and prayer. We're going to encourage each other in the spiritual applications in the things of the Lord. Let me, let me challenge you, wives. Are you in a position to be able to encourage your husband? Husband, are you in a position where you can encourage your wife in the things of the Lord? Young people, are you in a position where you can be a blessing to an encouragement to your parents in the things of the Lord? They would be thrilled. If you have, if you have Christian parents, they would be thrilled to hear their child say something like this. I was reading my Bible the other day, Dad. It was such a blessing to me. I hope this will encourage you because it really encouraged me. And share with your dad or with your mom what God showed you from his word. You don't, you don't have any idea what an encouragement, what a blessing that will be to a parent who's been conscientious about raising you these years. We can do this for each other. And you know what we need to I read there in Hebrews chapter 10. And what's the, what's the primary focus of Hebrews chapter 10? Not Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Don't forsake the assembly. Instead, exhort, be there just to be there. That's not the point. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the prior verse to that, to that famous well-known verse about church attendance and its importance, is it says, provoke one another to love and to good works. Encourage each other, encourage the saints. I believe that more and more and more we're going to see darkness falling in this land. And you need to encourage each other in the Lord. In your family, in your church family, with your parents, with your children, with your spouse, you need to encourage each other in the things of the Lord and help each other to remember to focus on God's promises and God's uh, challenges that he, that he presents to us, His goodness, His character, and to trust Him and rejoice in Him. Having done all, stand. Stand. And with God's strength and with God's direction and help, we can. Amen. Let's pray.